the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Crossover, step back! Where the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia comes to get their sports live. Is this the Tiger? It is a great night to be a Mountaineer wherever you may be. Agent back to pass. Rush down the pocket. Throwing it downfield. It's into the end zone. Oh, he caught it! Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner, Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone. It is Monday the 17th. You're tuned into Panhandle Sports Live, brought to you by Mountaineer Kitchens and Bats. Since 1995, Mountaineer Kitchens and Bats have delivered distinguished remodeling services to our home community of Martinsburg. From new construction to remodeling, Mountaineer Kitchens and Bats can design your new kitchen or bath. Their talented designers can bring to life any concept you'd like to create, so check them out at mountaineerkitchensandbath.com. On Facebook, visit their showroom at 967 Hedgesville Road in Martinsburg. I'm Jordan Warner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Good morning, fellas. Morning. Good morning. And I can't find my headphones, my normal headphones, so I have these old ones on, and they sound crazy. <laughs> like loud or? No, I sound like I... Uh, Distorted? I sound like a completely different person to myself right now. <laughs> Very strange. <laughs> Very strange. But, uh, man, what a football weekend we had this past weekend, huh, fellas? What? Yeah, that was that was one of the most wild weekends I think we've had overall. Of course, our, our local coverage, we had some great games going on this weekend. We had Shepard coverage this weekend. All of FBS college football was insane. Rocky Top's back, and it's it's so it's so weird having Tennessee like feel back. I mean, when's the last time they felt relevant? Like fifteen years think. ago, the last time they fifteen beat years ago, like early two thousands. <laughs> it's it's cool. It's cool to see Tennessee back. They haven't been this relevant, I think, since then. And then, of course, USC got upset against Utah this weekend. You saw some upsets go down, some people moving up, some people moving down. We have a new number one in the FBS poll. Georgia's back up to number one. Then you got Ohio State, Tennessee, Michigan, and they'll be in the top four. And, yeah, other than that, the NFL weekend was crazy, too. I'll uh, I'll save the uh, bragging for later on in the show about the uh, my Giants <laughs> beating Jordan's Ravens. But we'll uh, – can, You can't be proud of that win. I mean – the Ravens gave that up. They did. You can't be proud of that. They won. It's, it's a W. <laughs> five and zero. Oh, five and one. Giant, the Giants yeah. are five and one, and I don't know what to do with myself. So That's it's, true. It's we and neither do the players. They were crying after the game. You thought they would have won like the conference championship or something. <laughs> I know it was. It's it's cool. It's finally good. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. I like, it, it's I like cool. that. It's quaint. It's, it's, cool. it's cool. Put that on a shirt. It's kind of neat. Yeah. It's just so happy that the this is the first time the Giants have felt good and relevant since. A decade, like mm-hmm. 2014, was the last nice. time they felt good. So, <laughs> Must be nice. Yeah, at least I'm not a Raiders fan. Must no be offense. nice. Hey, at least you're on bye week this week. You don't have to go through the pain. Yeah, that's true. There you go. I had to tr- scroll through Twitter and make sure nobody got arrested every 15 minutes. Oh, God. <laughs> Just keep it clean during the bye week, guys. That is, man, that is true. Talk about a that's great tough. place, to, a great team to play for for a bye week. <laughs> Just hang out, hanging out in Vegas. Phoenix would be like that. A couple of them. Uh, but back to well, the local football at hand. Shepard takes care of Millersville at home uh, for homecoming 55-17. Uh, honestly, kind of a snooze fest in the first half. Then the second half, it blew up for Shepard as they uh, tacked on a bunch of points. Von Hawley getting a touch or getting a touchdown. Blake Hartman getting a touchdown. Ronnie Brown. Uh, Dante Harrison getting his pick six. Uh, Bajent with a touchdown run. I mean, Luke, this Shepard team, I mean, as it looks right now, it's pretty. I can't think of too many teams really in the country that'd be able to stop them. 
Yeah, certainly. If you look at this game in the first, third, and fourth quarter, this is one of the best teams in the country, and they're going to move up another spot. We had that Grand Valley Ferris State game, and obviously one of those teams is going to tumble down the rankings a couple of spots. And then you look at the dominance again of those three quarters, and you think that, man, what's going to stop this team? Well, themselves, maybe, because look at the second mm-hmm. quarter of this game. That was legitimately the worst quarter of football that I'd seen Shepard play all year long, and it wasn't particularly close. You know, Bajan had a couple of bad balls, gets picked off twice in this game. You make a really, really dumb decision on special teams on a kickoff return that hits one of the up men, rolls back to the five. Ronnie Brown, you know, he tries to be electric and make a play with it, but he never secures the football before he goes downfield. It gets knocked out, and it's returned for a special teams touchdown. You give up a wide-open touchdown to their running back out of the backfield on some busted coverage. You know, when you have the the Ernie McCook show on Thursday, obviously there's a lot of great things to say about this game, but I guarantee you he'll spend – three quarters of his time talking about that second quarter. Now, you know, you make the argument that even if it was just a four-point game at the half, you never really felt like Millersville was threatening because they couldn't move the ball, which is a testament to this defense. Uh, But, you know, those are the mistakes. If you have that quarter against... You know, we were talking about IUP in the potentially a conference championship game or Slippery Rock or yeah. hopefully the postseason. If you have that that kind of a quarter against somebody else, you're going to lose. You're going to give up 28 points in 15 minutes and you're going to lose. So it's good to have it against a team now that you're able to work around it. But that's certainly not something you want to see happen again. Yeah, that was a uh, sketchy way to go into halftime. Now, the Rams were going to get the ball back, which is pretty stat- pretty much status quo for them at this point. And I think that is what kind of helps them get that kind of jump start in the second half. But with Ronnie fumbling that, which he should just let go through the end zone for, well, I guess not at that point, but it should just fell down and yeah. then let the quarter or the half run out. Uh, it was uh, as nervous, I think, as it could have been against Millersville. But like you said, it really just didn't feel like Millersville uh, had to step up in that one. Yeah, it looked like it too. I saw the half over when I was covering Berkeley Springs. Saw it was 21-17 all of us. I was like, oh boy. Oh no, this is not good. But they handled business in the second half. And again, I think it comes down to the emergence of this three-headed monster in the backfield for Shepard between Ronnie Brown, Avon Holly, and Blake Hartman. These guys are rotating out now a lot more, it seems. We've talked about Ronnie. He's the electric runner out of the backfield, the best pass catcher out of the backfield. Blake Hartman, the young guy, he's a good one-cut back between the tackles. And then Avon Holly is a really good spellback for those three as well. They combined for over 200 yards rushing in this game. Bajan has his, I think, best rushing performance of the year with 45 yards and a touchdown. Defense came to play as well. Dwayne Grantham with another great game, six total tackles, one for loss. Kyle Smith registers his sixth sack of the season. And I think right now it's mainly defense and running the ball for Shepard's been doing it, which coming into the season you weren't you wouldn't think that would be the way Shepard was winning games, but they're doing good. Tyson again goes for 23, 36, 275, two touchdowns and two picks. And it's going to be interesting. It's definitely like you guys said. I think the Rams, the only team that could beat them right now is themselves, and they just got to keep heads and keep that keep first half momentum going like they did against Lockhaven. Yep, Shepard takes care of business, fifty-five to seventeen. And some of the big news at Ram Stadium on Saturday was the new logo. Now yeah. uh, I'm trying to find. Have you guys seen it yet? Well, I know Luke, you have. Have you seen it yet? I did. I saw some pictures of it. So what do you think? Any uh, any opinions? Any thoughts? I thought it looked kind of similar to what Westchester has a little bit, but mm-hmm. I, I do like it. It's pretty cool. I like the more implementation of the actual RAM instead of the SU that Shepard has used. I think it's cool. I'm a fan of it. It's an upgrade in my opinion. I think it just depends to me on how they use it. Like mm-hmm. that big logo in the middle of a shirt is a good look, maybe yeah. on a baseball cap, uh, but I'd still like to see some of the SU and some of the, the script lettering as well. So you know, not not bad. I, th- I think I saw a bunch of people walking around with the merchandise from it already, and it was kind of not even un- officially being sold yet. It was in the bookstore, but they're 
kind of waiting to tell people, but people were buying it anyway. Uh, so that's a good sign. It seems as though the fans like it. Yeah, I know that they're uh, kind of not necessarily phasing out that SU, but putting it as kind of that um, alternate logo, I guess. And I think it's the, well, I know it's the new Ram logo and then the script Ram. If it's like in a hierarchy, it's the new Ram logo, script Ram, the old Ram, and then the SU, which is kind of cool. <laughs> I like it. I always like new changes. I think you're right. I think it's going to look pretty sick on a baseball hat, that's for sure. Uh, but Parker, we thought you were going to have, uh, well, one for the ages over the weekend too, but uh, uh, the Tribe come up just short yet again. Yeah, it was it was a great game through three quarters. Both these teams played tough. All credit to Hampshire. They, had a, they put together a really good game plan there at the end of the fourth quarter, kind of pulled it away. And again, I think it really came down to, at the end of it, it was a couple fake punts that Hampshire ran and then some unfortunate injuries on the Berkeley Springs side that really opened things up for the Trojans. Well, uh, you're used to hearing you know, the uh, Panhandle Game of the Week, which we'll get to because that was a good one. We'll get to that uh, in our second segment today. Uh, but here are the highlights, which you could have heard, what you can hear every Berkeley Springs game over on 92.9 WXDC. But here are the highlights from Saturday. As it's first and 10 here for Fields and the Trojans. It's going to be an interception and a touchdown drive. Gavin Young calls it on the defensive side this time. He does it at that cornerback spot. Picked up that pass from Fields, and then we'll put six on the board for Berkeley Springs. On this third and 14, looks like they're bringing pressure here to Fields. Fields back to throw for the Trojans. He's rolling out to his right side. Pressure's coming in for the Tribe, and they get to him, and he fumbles, and he fumbles, and they pick it up. It's going to be Tribe football inside of the red zone. Fields got paranoid with the pressure from the Tribe. It was Ambrose Cook. And Patton coming in there for the pressure. It's going to be that power eye set here for Berkeley Springs. It's going to be a direct handoff, and it is going to be a touchdown for the Tribe. Hunter Ambrose, the man with the carry there. The big man gets a touchdown. You can call him the refrigerator, the freezer, the whole unit, whatever you want to call Hunter Ambrose on that one. But the big man carries it in for himself and gets a touchdown. And Berkeley Springs leads for the first time today. Second 11 ball is going to be on the 34-yard line. It's going to be Fields taking the snap. He fakes it. He's got pressure going to be coming in. And he's going to get corralled down. The Tribe defense gets another one. And that sack came in from Connor Duvall. Eversall's in the pistol set with Sloan Clower in the backfield with him. Eversall's going to pitch it out to Clower, and it's going to be sniffed out. Big play there from number 52, Austin Patton. As it's second and eight, ball's going to be on the Hampshire 21. It's going to be a gun set here for Kane and the Tribe. He's going to look to his left side. He throws this one up, and it's going to be caught, and it's a touchdown, Tribe! Berkeley Springs gets on the board as Holden Gerson gets it in for Berkeley Springs. He was the man on that drive. He converted that big third down for Berkeley Springs. He gets rewarded for a touchdown here as it's going to be a two-point conversion attempt to try and tie our game with nine seconds remaining in your third quarter. Kane is going to line up here to convert the two. If Berkeley Springs get this, we're back to a tied game. It's 29-27 right now. It's a strong pistol set. Kane hands it off. It's going to be a fake. Kane trying to avoid the pressure from Hampshire. They're bringing heat. It's going to be thrown up, and it's converted for two. He finds Gerson once again. He's with the man on the drive, and we are tied here in Romney. It's 29-all with nine seconds remaining in your third quarter. Of course, you can hear Parker Stone over on 92.9 WXDC for Berkeley Springs football. And uh, what you were saying, that really came down to a couple of special teams Big plays for Hampshire that kind of sealed the deal. Yeah, they ran a couple fake punts that really got Berkeley Springs off their mojo. The first quarter, they ran it for the first time. I think it was their opening drive, and they got a big gain on it on a streak pass. And then the fourth quarter, they did another fake punt when it was tied, and they threw a flat route out to their number eight, and the name's escaping me right now. But he scores at almost 75 yards on a flat route for a touchdown on a fake punt. 
And then after that, it just things just unravel for the tribe. Aiden Kane was a little sensitive to the pressure towards the end. And I was thinking this weekend, trying to figure out, I was like, has, of course, it's not been the season the tribes won at all. And my thinking was, have they figured out what they're going to do at quarterback next year? I didn't know. Of course, Connor Duvall started those first five games. Chase O'Brien started at Oakland. And now Aiden Kane started the last two. Do we have an answer? For a little bit, I was thinking, I don't know if we have an answer because there's been just, there's been ups and downs with all three of these guys. But I was thinking to myself, I was thinking, okay, Aiden Kane is probably your guy moving forward. Duvall had some good showings, but I think Duvall's better at a running back and a linebacker spot moving forward. He played a lot more running back in this game, which I was hoping he would because he's a tough runner. But Kane does have the best armor with his sense. I think Aiden's biggest improvement point for this offseason is kind of have to be getting rid of the ball and picking up pressure a little bit better because that's his biggest downfall. He takes a lot of sacks. He sometimes holds the ball way too long. But he had some good plays. He threw for two touchdowns, and then he had two interceptions as well. Gavin Young had another game, and then a few members of the tribe went down towards the end. Young was one of them. He had a uh, injury towards the back end of that game. As far as I know of, he's okay. He was just icing his leg up, good to go. Um, Aiden Kane went down there in the fourth quarter, and then Austin Patton went down on a uh, kickoff return. So I'll get an update from Coach Ray and see how they're doing. But as far as I know of, Gavin Young is okay. Aiden Kane and excuse me, no, Austin Patton, they should be fine as well. But another tough one for the Tribe. Hopefully they have a great showing this Friday as they take on the Bees of East Fairmont this Friday. So what's the rest of their schedule look like? Yeah, they got East Fairmont this Friday coming up. The Bees are 5-2 and two on their season. They've had a pretty good run, so it'll have to be, which is good for the Tribe too. Their final two games are at Morgan Field, so come on out if you got the chance. If you can't, you can hear it on WXDC. They got East Fairmont this Friday, and then they close out their season October 28th as they host Wheeling Central Catholic coming in to Morgan Field. We'll stick around after the break. We'll get into last week's Panhandle Game of the Week between Musselman and Wheeling Park, which made a, well gave us a nice long travel weekend, but it was some good football games. And we'll get into that Panhandle Game of the Week from last week after the break on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Join the conversation on Twitter at EP News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, brought to you by Mountaineer Kitchen. Check them out at mountaineerkitchensandbat.com. On Facebook, or you can visit them at their showroom at 967 Hedgesville Road in Martinsburg. I'm Jordan Icewater, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. And, of course, you can always hear, well, throughout this year, you can hear your Panhandle Game of the Week right here on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. And our Game of the Week last week was all the way up in Wheeling at Wheeling Island, where the Appleman went up to take on the Wheeling Park Patriots. Well, and it didn't quite go the Appleman way with a 34-7 loss on the road uh, up in Wheeling. Park, and uh, I mean, we knew what to expect from the Appleman going into it. We've covered them a couple of times now. We know uh, how tough they are athletically, but it was interesting to see kind of the uh, you know X factors that Wheeling Park had, and Dre Hawkins was one of them, and adding three touchdowns uh, to the game on uh, Friday for Dre. Well, he definitely showed why he's one of the top prospects uh, in the state of West Virginia. But I think the Appleman Luke kind of ran into a buzzsaw on Friday. Yeah, they certainly did. You know, that was one of the best crowds that Park had had all season long. It was their homecoming. You know, the quarterback played well on Brett Phillips, over 200 yards of total offense for Jeray Hawkins and three touchdowns. And, you know, if we're able to link up with uh, Coach Thomas at some point this week, he'd be the first to tell you, though, that it was a one-possession game at the half. 
that the Appleman turned the ball over in the red zone three times in this game, and there was a fumble by Hawkins at midfield that they weren't able to recover. It just kind of slowly rolled out of bounds. And then especially that last touchdown, arguably the last two, but definitely the last touchdown, uh, Musselman at that point was just a victim of kind of having their hopes dashed and the effort drained. So I, I think that a 34-7 to scoreline isn't really indicative of how this game really should have gone. Now, don't get me wrong, the better team on that given day did win. Wheeling Park had a better game plan. They executed. They took advantage of you know some lapses in coverage by the Appleman, but I certainly think it was much closer. And I think it, it affirms our suspicions that, yes, Martinsburg's still the team to beat in AAA, but then there's this huge logjam of teams right behind them to, be, to say who number two is. There's a lot of people that think it's Wheeling Park after that game we still really like Musselman Parkersburg South in that mix Spring Valley Morgantown Bridgeport universities on the outside looking in Cabell Midland Hurricane who just beat Cabell Midland there's really very little to separate those teams from each other because they all keep beating each other and it's just about who's playing the best football at, at the right time and for this matchup it was Wheeling Park at home getting good play out of their senior quarterback Brett Phillips getting good play from brothers and Desaia and guys like that on the defensive side of the ball. But then, of course, the most highly recruited player in the state, uh, certainly playing like it, and Jeray Hawkins with the hat trick. Don't forget, you can text us, 304-263-4321. Let us know what you thought about that Musselman-Wheeling Park game. And uh, another question for you guys, too. Do you think that number one you know, spot, being number one in the state, do you think that might have uh, had something to do with them? Maybe a little extra added pressure? Absolutely, I think so as well. That was the first time Musselman was ranked number one in a while, and I, I think the pressure was on. And you, they knew going into that game, this is a Wheeling Park team that will probably host a playoff game, and this this was a marquee matchup. And Wheeling Park just showed up and showed out. They had, like Luke said, they had a fantastic game plan. Jare Hawkins, seeing him live and in person, he's going to be playing high power five football somewhere, guys. He's a fantastic athlete. Is fantastic. He's just out of this world. One of the, one of the best receiver he's prospects. So fast. Yeah, he's he's a speed demon. One of the, he's one of the best prospects. And Jordan and I were talking about it during the game. It was it was a Tavon Austin like performance from Dre Hawkins. I would say three total touchdowns, 160 yards, and Wheeling Park just brought it. They brought it, and I think the long trip maybe to Wheeling Island maybe got the Appleman too. That's a long trek up there. And I think this last stretch of the season is really good to find the Appleman. They got a game against Bridgeport coming up next week. They got Washington this week. If they can rattle off some wins here, get their momentum back, they can go in and they'll host a playoff game. But the season could spiral out, of course. There were some injuries towards the back half of that game for Musselman. And if they can piece some things together, it may unravel for Musselman, as sad as it is to say. It's been such a great start, but we've talked about it. Musselman's had some points where they might have had Lady Luck on their side against teams like Morgantown and against Sharando and stuff like that. But the yet the rest is yet to be seen on Musselman. I'm excited to see this last game stretch and what Coach Thomas is going to have his team do towards playoff time. Well, if there's any team that's going to be able to bounce back, I think it's going to be a Coach Thomas led team because he talked about that mental toughness and they showed it because things got a little chippy. The environment got a little hostile there on the field of Wheeling Island a couple of times there, and the Alpmen. Well, both teams eventually were able to keep their cool and level heads, but um, yeah, having Washington coming up this week, then Bridgeport and Parkersburg. At least with Washington, I mean, we we've talked about Washington in the past. They also haven't quite had the season that they've been looking for so this gives you a game uh, to kind of reset a little bit of course you can't overlook the Patriots at all because if you do uh, they'll take advantage of that but if there was a game for them if there was a game to lose in this faction I think it is the Wheeling Park game because you go into Washington then you can reset for Bridgeport and Parkersburg yeah certainly and you're gonna get three still tough games down the stretch 
you know, Washington's starting to get healthy at this point in the season. I know they just lost to Preston, unfortunately, 22-zip. Uh, but they're dangerous. There's something, buddy, you can't take for granted. But like you said, they're also a team that you can get a, a an early score on uh, and and try to get some substitutes in in the second half if you play a perfect game mm-hmm. plan about it, which isn't easy. Yeah. And you got Bridgeport, who is also in that mix, like I said, amongst the top teams. You don't, obviously don't have to beat them to get into the playoffs. I think Musselman's already a playoff team, but they're a team you want to beat to get the bonus points. Uh, to move up higher in the rankings and certainly host in the first round, if not the second round. And then Parkersburg is, again, a team that's down on their luck. But, you know, they're the most historic program in the state. They have more wins than Bridgeport. And, you know, they're still very well coached. Uh, they still have a very good traveling fan base or supporting fan base. So, you know, they're not going to be a team that Musselman can take for granted either. As you look down the you know, the schedules for all of the Panhandle teams down the stretch, they don't get easier as we're looking to see how many teams can make the postseason and, uh, uh, of course, something to keep an eye on. Well, Texas, 304-263-4321, 304-263-4321. What do you think of that Musselman-Wheeling Park game, which was last week's Panhandle Game of the Week? And Luke, when is this week's Panhandle Game of the Week? Well, this Panhandle Game of the Week is Panhandle Games of the Week. We're going to have a doubleheader. Uh, and shout out to Spring Mills because they are playing on a Thursday up in North Hagerstown. Uh, the execrable, hold on, they're the Loopies. They're the hubs. They're the, <laughs> the, loopies. the loopies. Maybe they are a little loopies sometimes. They're the hubs. The they're, they're the hubs. Uh, they take on the hubs. I knew it was something. Um, <laughs> the loopies. The loopies. <laughs> on Thursday night, uh, we'll have that game. And then the day after that, we've got another all EPAC affair. Uh, Jefferson at home. Uh, the Red Hot Cougars in the back half of the season. Uh, we'll take on Martinsburg. So we'll get to see if they can give them a good game. Um, so we're going to have two games, both on Thursday and Friday. Spring Mills against the Hubs on Thursday night, and then Jefferson against Martinsburg on a Friday night as well. So Panhandle Game of the Week, doubleheader this week. And, of course, you can always hear those right here on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. But we got to get to this bottom of the hour break. When we come back, well, it was a wild college football weekend. And, of course, there was uh, some baseball that was being played as well. A game, I think, went, what, 40 innings was the, was the final uh, <laughs> oh inning total of that Mariners game. It was something crazy. But when we come back, we'll chat about that and more on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Mix up your sports coverage with Panhandle Sports Live. Heard on the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, brought to you by Mountaineer Kitchens and Baths. You can visit them at mountaineerkitchensandbath.com on Facebook. Or you can visit their showroom at 967 Hedgesville Road, Martinsburg. I'm Jordan Ice Warner alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. And before we get into uh, all the national craziness that happened over the weekend, Luke, we still got a little bit of EPAC uh, soccer to talk about. That's absolutely right. Postseason begins today for boys and girls soccer. Uh, it starts with the sectionals, moves into the regionals, and uh, it, it's lined up pretty well for us to cover as much as possible over on our Twitter, EP News Network. Uh, one of the sectionals, Washington against Jefferson in both boys and girls, uh, the winners of those will advance to the sectional final to take on Hampshire. And then if you win that, you advance then to the regional. And then if you win that, you advance to the state tournament. So this section, Washington and Jefferson, boys and girls soccer play tonight at 5 and 7. I believe at Washington, but you don't have to be there to get uh, stay in the loop. You can find it over on our Twitter page at EP News Network. And then I'll go over to some of the other sectional games uh, tomorrow as well as we try to follow those teams all the way through the state tournament. That's right. Make sure you stay up to date over on our Twitter page at EP News Network. But my goodness, what a wild and crazy college football Saturday we had, especially 
The Fighting Chris Lawrences. The Fighting Chris Lawrences. Old volunteers. Volunteers. I almost said the volunteers. The volunteers. Volunteers coming out and making the whole country proud. Beating Alabama for the first time in like 45,000 years, I think is what it was last time they beat uh, Alabama, especially with it being uh, there in Knoxville. So, Luke, or well, we'll go with Parker first. Parker, I think you were all over a lot of this Tennessee-Alabama <laughs> stuff. What uh, What are your thoughts? I mean, Tennessee's here. They're back. The Vols are back, and you can, if you're a Tennessee fan, thank you. Thank, go give thanks to Justin Fuente every single day because he's the yeah. one that not only gave you Hendon Hooker, but gave you your top receiver in Jalen Hyatt, too. Man, he, he looked good Saturday. He, he benched Hooker for Braxton Burmeester Old Burmy. at Virginia Tech on old it, it speaks. It speaks to levels how bad of a Power 5 coach Justin Fuente is <laughs> that not only he squandered a guy who now at this point is it, it worse the number two odds to win the Heisman Trophy at this point, if not winning it, and a guy who's a top five receiver in the country? And gosh, you just you just shake your head if you're a Virginia Tech fan from all that going on. But Tennessee's back. We we got to keep the focus on the Vols here. They're it's the first time they've felt big and relevant in college football play to contend since the early 2000s. It's really special to see what they've done over there. And I'm happy for him. I'm happy for Tennessee to get these moments here. It feels like I saw a uh, post on Twitter. It was pretty funny. It was two people on an escalator. One of them was Tennessee going up, and the other was Auburn going down on the escalator. <laughs> so I, I guess that might be the turning of the tide in that. But again, guys, since Tennessee is in the SEC East, we're going to get Tennessee-Georgia at some point, too, which that is going to be exciting. Georgia's now the new number one in the AP poll, followed by Ohio State. Tennessee comes in at number three. They flipped with Alabama. The Crimson Tide dropped to six, and Michigan's going to round out the top four. Clemson's and Alabama are the first two outs. So I want to ask you guys as well, if season ends today, who are you taking to the college football playoff? Do you have a top four? Tennessee, no Georgia, Michigan, TCU. Okay. I like that. See, T- I like TCU as well. They've played really good this season, and th- they will have to run the table to win it. But I do think outside of the SEC, the Big 12 has been the most competitive conference overall in college football. All these teams can beat each other. There's been, what, like five or six teams in the Big 12 ranked at some point this season. They've been they've been fantastic. It's been a fun conference to watch. And West Virginia gets a tough one against Texas Tech. Of course, they upset Texas earlier in the year at home. they got to go at Lubbock, which is a really tough place to play. And it's looking good, of course. And get, quick shout-out to uh, UCLA, who's a sneaky 6-0 and number 9 in the nation yeah. right now. The uh, Bruins are the last chance for the Pac-12 to get any representation in the playoff with the USC upset as they lost to Utah on Saturday. So yeah, it's good. It's an exciting time for college football. It's all up in the air and you don't know who's going where and who is going to get in. It's going to be a big final push. Well, uh, Georgia put 55 up on whoever they're playing uh, Saturday, so they'll stay number one for sure. But they don't play uh, each other until the 5th of November, November 5th at Georgia is the Tennessee-Georgia game, which I would I would be interested to know when the last time the Tennessee-Georgia, because that's been a rivalry forever, when the last time it was this important. I mean, it'll be probably still one and then uh, maybe top five-ish somewhere with Tennessee. And people are talking about nightmare scenarios now based on those SEC teams having to play each other and beat each other down the stretch and, of course, strength of schedule going into it where technically you could make the argument that there's a path to get four SEC teams into the college football playoff. Uh, yeah, getting that'd an, make everybody mad. Uh, it would make everybody <laughs> furious. Getting an undefeated team out of Georgia and Tennessee and then the one loss of that side, getting a one-loss Alabama potentially, and potentially getting a one-loss or undefeated Ole Miss, which... Whew, 
You're right. No, people would turn it off at that point. That Then you've just kind of just created that college football super conference that everybody was looking for. So we got to root for our other power fives, like you mentioned, UCLA, TCU, Michigan slash Ohio State, because they have to play each other uh, to remain undefeated to make sure that doesn't happen. Man, not sure what's happy to see Penn State get beat like they did, too, <laughs> over the weekend. And nothing I like more than a Penn State loss. And, uh, well, they'll still remain in the top 25. They got beat by Michigan 41-17. to uh, Do you think Michigan is back? Even with uh, John or a Harbaugh coached team where people were saying that he well, he and his brother should probably be losing jobs at yeah, some point. Yeah, I mean, they're building off the momentum that they had last season with the talent that they had and, of course, beating Ohio State uh, with Hutchinson and with uh, Kenneth Walker. Uh, yeah, no, who, uh, who was the running back on that uh, team? Corum? <laughs> yes, yes, Play Corum. Um, anyways, um, I, I think Michigan's in a good place right now. Obviously, they'll have to play Ohio State down the stretch. But the question then again turns to, for college football fans, since we're kind of close to State College, James Franklin has certainly overstayed his welcome uh, with the Nittany Lions. He's kind of like the, uh, the the Power Five super team's Neil Brown, where he's a really good recruiter and he's a really good guy, but Penn State's are not getting the results that they think they should get. You know, how much longer is he going to get a chance to turn that program around? Because he's not doing a lot of turning around at the moment because that was a good game. It was a one-point game through half, I thought, and then Michigan just tattooed him in the second half and pulled away. So how much longer is James Franklin going to be the coach? Yeah, that's a really good question, too. Penn State's been very up and down. They're ranked 16th now after that loss to Michigan. And looking at their schedule, it doesn't get much easier. You get Minnesota, who just play, he played a ranked Illinois team tough throughout a half. They'll get Minnesota. That's always a tough game. Then you get Ohio State on the 29th. Indiana, who came really close to beating Maryland last week. Then you get the Terrapins on the 12th of November. Then you close out your season with Rutgers and Penn State. Or, no, excuse me, Michigan State. So you <laughs> could, you could realistically, they could run and go, you can go what, like, Five and one out of these six games, best case scenario. You could scenario. also lose all of them. Or you could go like four and three or three and four in that case and lose those. And Franklin's seat gets even hotter. So I don't know. I, I think realistic scenario here, Penn State will finish as a top 15 team and they'll make a decent bowl game. Maybe they get lucky and get but into it. That's just not what that fan base wants. No, you know they, I mean? they're, 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 they're expecting to get into the playoffs. national championship. Yeah. And they're exactly. nowhere close to that right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you there 100%. We do got the battle of the purple teams in the Big 12 this week with K-State and TCU. That's going to be a good game. I think it is, too. With TCU coming out with the all-black uniforms to try and scare everybody, which, uh, I don't know. Well, gig them. Isn't that what that Texas A&M says against, like, the, yeah, that's yeah, their, yeah, like, yeah, mean yeah, thing yeah, to say yeah, to TCU is gig them. Uh, but I see here on the list, uh, I'm assuming, Parker, you put this on here, TCU last over for Big 12 with the college football playoffs? I think so, yeah. TCU is the last remaining undefeated after the Oklahoma State loss. Of course, Kansas State has a loss on their end as well. I think right now, just it's the case of the Big 12 teams beating up on each other. It's kind of the case of that. We've talked about it at the middle of the road with all the teams in AAA in the high school ranks of West Virginia. It's the same way in the Big 12. You got TCU now. That's the top dog. It was Oklahoma State. Now you got teams like Kansas. Oklahoma beat Kansas. And then you've got West Virginia beating Baylor. You've got teams that just be going against each other every week. You don't know what's happening. Texas goes and blows out Oklahoma. Then they lose to Texas Tech. It's back and forth right now. And TCU being undefeated, that's really the only hope I think the Big 12 has of getting representation in this year's college football playoff. But, again, you don't know. Kansas State's 17th, and I just can't I can't see a scenario where a one-loss Big 12 team is going to make it into the playoff with the way teams are playing this year. I think, and I hate saying this, I think we have a better chance of the Super SEC college football playoff than a Big 12 team getting in this year. But we'll see. I definitely think there could be two teams out of the Big 12 that make a New Year's Six Bowl. 
with TCU, Oklahoma State's up there. If Texas can rattle off a big stretch towards the end of their season, they could make something like that. But we'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens in that case. But yeah, I do think TCU's the final shot for a Big 12 to get any hope into the playoff. And, and I really like the the Quentin Johnson-Max Duggan combination that TCU has. They're pretty good on the defensive side of the ball, even though they gave up 40 points. But Greg Carey was hosting uh, or co-hosting Metro News Statewide Sportsline last night, brought up a crazy stat, among other things, to talk about how good the Big 12 conference is this year. Iowa State has started the year 0-4 in conference play. They're 3-4 and overall. They've lost those four games by a combined... 14 points Hmm. you know and they're the worst quote-unquote team in the conference right now you know Oklahoma just hung a 50 spot on somebody they're starting to turn it around West Virginia just beat last year's conference champions they're starting to turn it around it's hard for these big 12 teams to roll through undefeated regular seasons because it's the deepest conference in all of college football by way of there not being that many teams in the conference same way for basketball so I think Parker's right you know if we put all our eggs into one team running the basketball or the table and being undefeated uh, I would have said Oklahoma State they just lost to TCU and now we've got a root for the Horned Frogs to hopefully get some big 12 representation by this year's playoff well stick around we gotta get to our last break we'll be back with more Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST the Panhandle News Network it's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan Luke and Parker Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, brought to you by Mountaineer Kitchens and Bath. You can check them out on Facebook or at their showroom at 967 Hedgesville Road in Martinsburg. I'm Jordan Ice Warner, alongside me Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone, and it's time for Parker's Picks. Yeah, well, that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Prove it, it's never fails. Never failed once. All right, it is Monday, so to give you a recap of the past week we had, this weekend we split even on 3-3. Three and three. We had the we had a 1-1 on our locks. USC got upset from, yeah, Utah. almost said UCLA. U, yeah, USC gets beat by Utah, so that costs the college lock of the day. But the NFL lock of the day did pay out with the Bengals beating the New Orleans Saints. Now looking in 2-4 today, we've got two important games. I thought about going to Game 5 of the divisional series between the Guardians and the Yankees but we'll keep it on Monday Night Football since that seems to be the trend going on we got Chargers and we got Broncos let's pray this isn't a snooze fest so going for lock of the day I'm going Justin Herbert 225 plus passing yards I think that's a safe give me Herbert's a top five quarterback in the league he should be able to get those against a defense for the Broncos so it's been stout but I think he can get them Austin Eckler as well, I think, is going to score a touchdown at some point in this game, depending on where they find it. Of course, it's going to be no Keenan Allen once again for the Chargers. Keenan, please get healthy because my fantasy team needs you. But <laughs> it's I think Eckler's going to see a lot of those targets. It's been really Mike Williams and Austin Eckler. And Eckler's coming off a big game. He scored two touchdowns last week against the Houston Texans as well. And going on the Denver side, I think Jerry Judy hits 40-plus receiving yards. The, the over-under line is 50-and-a-half. If you take your alternate, I think 40-plus receiving yards for Jerry Judy is a good pick. But lock of the day, if you missed it, once again, Justin Herbert, 225-plus passing yards against the Denver Broncos on Monday night. We had our uh, first, I think, first ever Panhandle Sports Live uh, team battle over the weekend with the Giants and the Ravens facing off. The Giants best of the Ravens, 24-20. to Lamar Jackson, 17 for 32, 210 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Danny Jones, 19 for 27, 173 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Kenyon Drake running for the Ravens, had a pretty good game, 10 carries, 119 yards, had a touchdown in Saquon. He was uh, had 22 touches, 83 yards, and a touchdown. So, uh, Parker, you can't feel too good 
about that win. All things considered, I mean, of course, I don't feel too good about that loss because the Ravens just threw it away there at the end. I think some bad play calls, some mismanagement here and there, uh, some bad, I mean, uh, Lamar throwing that pick uh, in the second half was crazy. Can't believe he did that. That really cost the game. But what are your thoughts being from the win- or on the winning side? It definitely feels very weird to say the 5-1 and one New York Giants. I, I had no idea it was going to be this good of a season for us. I think at this point, Brian Dable's running away with Coach of the Year for the NFL. He's been on a fantastic job. and It feels good to say we finally found the head coach that the New York Giants needed after after shuffling between bad coach after bad coach since Tom Coughlin was let go. Of course, we had to suffer through Ben McAdoo, Pat Shermer, and the tumultuous Joe Judge era. Now we're enjoying success with a guy and a GM, both these guys coming from Buffalo, Joe Shane and Brian Dable. Both these guys are are up to what's going on in the NFL. And it's nice to see the Giants should not be 5 and 1. I don't know how they are 5 and 1, but they keep pulling out wins against teams that are competitive like the Packers and the Ravens, two teams I think could make second half pushes and make the playoffs. And I was telling you, the Ravens were the number 1 seed in the AFC just 2 years ago, and the Giants have struggled and this is being 5 and 1, the Giants have matched their win totals I think like 4 out of the past 5 or 5 out of the past 6 seasons. The most they've won, I think, was six in 2020 a couple years ago and over the past stretch. So if they can get eight, nine, and they're in a weak part of their schedule coming up, too. You've got the Texans, you've got the Lions, you've got teams that are towards the back half of the league. The Giants could be the shocker team that makes the playoffs this year, just how weak the schedule is. And they're doing it with like practice squad wide receivers, which is the crazy part. I don't know how it's going on. Put some respect on David Sills' name. I I love David Sills. I I love him, but he's. It's just he's not what I think of when I think wide receiver one. Wondell Robinson got got his first touchdown. It was a second round pick for the Giants this past draft. I like him a lot. And it what really is concerning me too with the Giants is the cap space they have. They do they don't have a lot of cap space, so it's going to be hard for them to improve from what they got at least for a couple years, especially when you got the Kenny Galladay contract and you have other elements going on as well. Uh, two things about the Ravens really quickly. One, unfortunately, the three games that they've lost this year, up 21 points in the Dolphins with 12 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. They're up 17 points against Buffalo at halftime. And they blow both of those games. And they're up 10 points in the Giants with six minutes to go in this one yesterday. So you've just got to be able to defend leads, uh, which is something that I guess that Harbaugh struggled to do throughout his tenure. But the other thing I'll say is you didn't have Rashad Bateman in this game. You're about to see a fire sale down in Carolina. Uh, I don't necessarily know about Robbie Anderson because his coach just kicked him off the field yesterday. Yeah, uh, how but weird was that? That was too. strange. But DJ Moore is somebody that I think they should try to go after because they need to get another wide receiver. And if they do, I think that'll help solve a lot of their problems. Well, Which I, I feel like the price tag for DJ Moore is going to be pretty big as well. I've been hearing that Carolina is not wanting to trade DJ Moore because I think they well, see have to. I, mean, I would love them to because, again, that's another guy on my fantasy team. DJ Moore has struggled tremendously this year. I'd love to see him in Baltimore. But I think I feel like that price tag, it's probably going to have to take a first-round pick to get DJ Moore, I think, which he I don't think he's worth a first-round pick. But I think – I mean, this is a Panthers team that's valuing Christian McCaffrey at, if not one, multiple high-end picks. And I think Carolina's overselling what they have – and I just I don't know if the deal is going to get done. I don't know if they trade DJ Moore. As far as I know of, they don't want to deal Brian Burns. They don't want to deal Derek Brown. Well, they, they don't have to do that because those guys are young. Yeah. I mean, the DJ I mean, Moore. I mean, DJ Moore is still relatively well, young. Well, I'm talking about contract-wise. Yeah. Those guys are still into the Burns and them. They're, they're still on their rookie contracts, if I'm correct. Yeah. And, and DJ Moore is going to get paid soon. And obviously, McCaffrey's already getting paid. That's what's my point. Is yeah. you're not they're not going to be there the next time this team's competitive. So the point is to trade him now. The Ravens are a team of need that I 
think would be willing to part with a first-round pick to get a receiver if it means making the playoffs. I don't think they'll have to trade a first-round pick for DJ Moore. We could talk about that when we have more time in a later mm-hmm. show. Uh, but my point is, if he goes on the block, he's one of the teams that the Ravens become the team at the top of the list to trade for him. Absolutely. Well, uh, the fourth quarter yesterday for the Ravens, an interception and a fumble. With the, the interception leads to a touchdown. The fumble ends to the leads to the end of the game. Uh, that's never going to do it for you, which another disappointing Sunday if you are a Ravens fan. Now that they're 3-3, three and three, you think it's weird saying uh, the Giants are 5-1? and one? It's weird saying the Ravens are 3 and And the Jets and have three. a winning record. Jets yeah, the Jets two. are back too. Blew out the Packers last this past weekend, which is insane. Well, the crazy thing is the Ravens and the Bengals, I think, are tied right now at the AFC at 500 apiece, mm-hmm. which... Yeah, I mean, the Ravens are fine. I yeah, mean, they'll you, make the playoffs. You're upset with how you lost all three of those games, but they're fine rest yeah. of season. They, they When they get everybody healthy and they can f- they figure out how to... A team that averages running five yards per carry should be better at kill, closing out games. You know, they need to mm-hmm. figure that. I know they're banged up in the backfield. Dobbins coming back, whatever, but you got that kind of performance from Drake. There's no reason why you should be throwing that ball that much in the fourth quarter. I agree. And it just, I feel like a lot of these losses, well, all the losses have come down to just weird play calls and weird situations. I mean, you have Lamar Jackson back there. Yes, he doesn't necessarily have the receivers that you would be uh, wanting or needing or looking for at the time, but I feel like they just take the ball out of his hand in certain moments when you yeah. should just, when you have that guy... I mean, unanimous MVP when you have that guy giving the ball. But ugh, anyways, let's move on to postseason baseball while we have the chance because we have an NLCS, an NLCS matchup already slated between the Phillies and the Padres. Who'd have thought? Padres and Phillies, just like everybody thought. Yeah, like who'd said. have thought? Top, uh, two, top two teams in the National League go down this past weekend. It's, it's crazy to see the Phillies are red hot. The Padres are putting things together. It's a team that... I think at the trade deadline, everybody was saying, okay, Padres are going to win the World Series now. They got Juan Soto, and they struggled. Now they're putting it together. Josh Hader's pitching good once again, and this is going to be an exciting NLCS. Both these teams have a lot going on. I think this will be the first World Series berth for the Phillies since, what, 2010? Something like that. This is their first NLCS since, I think, that time. And San Diego, they have they haven't had this level of success. If they get to the World Series, this will be one heck of a story for the Padres. Uh, the only problem with the Phillies in this one, the hottest team in baseball, but they've just won two small series. You know, What's their pitching depth going to be like when they have to go deeper and deeper into the rotation to move past uh, the guys at the front of that rotation? Because obviously Nola's pitching well, but who are they going to throw in the back end of this series? Because the Padres have depth galore. They added as much at the uh, the deadline. And it'll be interesting to see. And then, of course, from the other side, uh, everybody's rooting for Cleveland and their $6 payroll. <laughs> hey, I don't. I wouldn't want to play against Cleveland in the postseason. No. Just going to let you know. Cleveland in the postseason. Might not want to be there in the town at any really given time in Cleveland, <laughs> but not playing baseball in the postseason. Uh, and talk about two tough teams to root for in the NLCS between the Phillies and the Padres. I have no clue. I don't. I don't care for either of those teams. <laughs> That's if we have like a, a, a Cleveland Philadelphia World Series, no one will watch. <laughs> no one will. No, no one, one is will safe. watch. <laughs> no one is safe in a Cleveland Philadelphia World Series. Mm-mm-mm. Well, if you missed any of today's show, you can always listen back to it uh, over on our Panhandle News Network Facebook page. Make sure and Spotify page. Make sure you stay over on EP News Network at Twitter, especially because we got high school soccer sectionals coming up, and that'll be all over on our Twitter page at EP News Network. But for Parker, for Luke, this has been Panhandle Sports. Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Live is next. Have a good one. Talk to you tomorrow.
Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.